Number six is called All Caves Aren't the Same. Look at your neighbor and say, All Caves Aren't the Same. A cave is a cave is a cave is not how it works. They don't all look the same. Now, if you're just talking about geography or topography or rocks or stalactites or stalagmites, they all might have some great similarities. But it's, it's crazy what God does in one cave and what he can do in another. And we've all had cave experiences. I'm not going to do a five or seven minute review the way I always do today. I want to jump right in just to say that there's going to be a difference in this cave and the one we were in last week. Something happens between Adullam and En Gedi. This is a new place. David leaves Adullam. And uh, the scripture, as we find this morning, I want to go ahead and grab our text. I'm going to let you stay seated, but I want you to still read with me. Here we go. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. We've emphasized heart and hand, guiding and leading skillfully the Lord in David's life. And so go ahead. This is our message text for today. Read it out loud with me, please. One verse. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Pray with me. Spirit of God, thank you today for this time. Thank you for Jesus. He is our heavenly David. He is the poet in us that sings. He is the warrior that fights and has won the battle. He is the king and the Lord of our lives. We honor you, Jesus. Fill us today with your Holy Spirit. Open eyes to see and ears to hear. We'll be careful in everything that we do to honor you in this place because we know that apart from you we can do nothing. But we also know that now in Christ we are no longer apart from you. But in Christ you fill us and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Let that be our testimony today. Fill this place with your praise, with your anointing, anointing that destroys yokes of bondage and sets captives free. We'll be careful to praise you, and it's in Jesus' name that we lift this up and all of God's people said, amen. Put that last verse up for me. There it is. David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Now, you look at both of these places, and it's just a pile of rocks. What makes one place... The cave of Adullam. And another place, the strongholds of En Gedi. This is the one thing that I want you to grasp this morning. It will be woven throughout the whole message. Everybody say it with me. Perspective changes everything. Look at your neighbor and say, perspective changes everything. What you see is not nearly as important as how you see it. Your enemy is not so powerful if you realize that you have the Lord on your side. Come on. If you're going to clap, clap. Don't patty cake. Say it again. Perspective changes everything. He was in a low place, running from Saul, lost it all, hid in a cave, all of that. He's crying. He's, he's low. He's depressed. He is... Sad, discouraged, dismayed. And we saw through those three psalms that he went through last week, 142, 57, 34, and there's a transformation that takes place. And I believe that's when God first brought those righteous, the close of Psalm 142, when David says, the Lord will surround me with the righteous, I believe the Lord will deal bountifully with me. So that brings us up to today. David is moving in and out of this network of cave, caves of uh, the cave of Adullam. It's a network of caves, plural. He heads to the wilderness of Ziph. 
He's over in the forest called Horesh. And all of this, God continues to build. He's by himself, flat down, face down in a cave. And God turns things around and begins to give him a different perspective. He gets up off his face. He's on his knees. He's face up. Then God begins to move and then he gets up on his feet. Now, something happens. Jonathan comes and meets him out there at, in Horesh in the forest and he strengthens his hand in God. And David now has 400 men around him and it's continuing to grow. God had called everyone who was in debt, distressed, and discontented. Now that's a great church to start with. You don't want to be in that place all the time. Because everybody there's got a problem, they've got a beef, and you better have a really good complaint department to deal with it. Because everybody's got something wrong. And they're all gloom, despair, and agony on me. All 400 of David's mighty men. The motley crew God turned into David's mighty men. How he did it, I don't know. It was some kind of amazing demonstration of training and discipline. I think about this whole new thing in the MMA fighting and just the intense training that these guys go through, and not just in trying to pump muscles up in the gym, but to really, truly get raw strength. And, and whatever David is taking these men through, these are some Olympiads. These are, these are some Olympic quality, athletic, muscular, built young men that are coming along David's side that as we shared last week, you can read some amazing stories in Chronicles and Samuel about guys that fought lions and won. We're talking about some serious valor, some incredible courage, some true biblical manliness. And so God takes David out of that place of discouragement from the cave of Adullam and he starts to bring to these men to his side that he's got his back, that he can trust and they're building relationships that are legit and they're real and he can count on them. Not just somebody promising something in the heat of an, ex, of an exciting moment and then falling out when it's inconvenient. How many times have... Hey, listen, every leader in here has had that happen. Every parent has heard those empty promises. Every spouse in a broken marriage has heard those kinds of empty promises. Uh, every pastor has been disappointed and hurt by folks that said, oh, I won't do that. And then that's the very one the next time around that does that. And folk not following through. We're going to talk a little bit about trust this morning and the importance of building trust and the distinction between trust and forgiveness, trust and love. And David has built up a significant deposit of trust between him and these men. And, and when you find him now in this place called the stronghold of En Gedi, there is something that is, that is very deeply significant about it because it just sounds different. Where would you rather have your address say on your resume when you're applying for a mighty, mighty man job? Do you want to say that you live in the cave of Adullam or would you rather live in the strongholds of En Gedi? Obviously. Something just sounds better. I mean, you, you, you don't want to be in a cave. You want to be in a stronghold. Now, both of them are rocks, but perspective changes everything. It's not what you're looking at, but it's how you see what you see that makes all the difference in the world. And let me just jump in here this morning. Number one, the significance of the strongholds of En Gedi. If you would put the map up for me, please. I went to Israel in 2008. And if you look right over here and you see the Dead Sea. Now I know that some of you might not be able to see as well and I can't get around that drum booth to do the other side. But if you see this body of water, the Dead Sea, it's the lowest place, the lowest elevation on the planet. It is indescribably rich with mineral deposits because everything up north is running down into it and there is no outlet. It's called the Dead Sea because nothing is alive in it. Nothing will grow. There are no fish. 
the Dead Sea. The unusual thing about the Dead Sea, and we did it, is that you go down there and you literally, there's, there's a buoyancy because the salt content is so outrageously high and every other mineral on the planet, it's rich. If you go to the mall and you see some of these attractive young men and women that are Middle Easterners, maybe Palestinians, some of them are Israelis that are actually from the Dead Sea and they're bringing their goods for you to, you know, to use it on your face. There were people actually out there when we went to the Dead Sea and floated as a group of pastors. There was about 14 or 15 of us on this whirlwind tour all over Israel and there were people out there that had smeared this black mud all over them, face and everything, because there's supposed to be some kind of healing characteristic to the mud that comes from the Dead Sea because it's so rich in all of these things that make up some part of the composite of your body, the water and the salt and the minerals and all these things. Now, if you look down, the, right under the Dead Sea, the very first thing you see right there is En Gedi. Everybody say En Gedi. So go ahead and flip the map for me, and I want you to see this. This horseshoe right here that you see, that whole region is called the stronghold of En Gedi, and this right here you can see some vegetation. That region out there is called the wilderness of Judea. It's desolate. Growing up, as I read the Bible, when I hear wilderness, I think of Shelby Forest. I think of timber and uncleared land. I think of the wilderness of America. I think of moving out to the west and clearing land and staking your claim and building your house and, and raising your cattle or whatever you're going to do in whatever region. It's the wilderness is that un, uh, literally uh, uh, untouched area of this beauty. But in the scripture, the wilderness is literally a desert. It's like a rock farm out there, guys. There might be a little tumbleweed or something might maybe blowing through or some kind of cactus-like plant growing around once in a while. And so right down here in the middle of this God-forsaken desolation of Judea and the death of the Dead Sea, no fish alive in it, it speaks of death, You've got this amazing oasis right here where everything is growing and it's verdant and it's beautiful and there's livestock that live in this place. Matter of fact, go ahead. Let me just show you this. As I took the 45-minute trek up a goat trail, and I, you heard what I said, a goat trail, and I climbed higher, 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 higher. Uh, the rest of the team was hanging out down there at the spa and doing the Dead Sea stuff and buying stuff to bring home for their wives and all of that. I, I, I waited to get to Jerusalem. I wanted to get Dawn some jewelry. She, she said, don't bring me into that mud. I don't care about mud. Bring me. I want something legit. <laughs> so I brought her back some silver, a silver bracelet, because Israel is known for their, the beautiful silver that they produce. And so I climbed all the way up into that craggy rock formation because I wanted to see where David hid out in the cave in En Gedi. Because there's a crazy story that we're about to open up here. And, and as, as I was sharing with you a moment ago, and I got a little sidetracked, we are not going to stop with eight messages on David. We're, we, 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 there's just, it, it could be 80, 8-0. But we're going to go to eight, and then we're going to go into Advent for Christmas this year, and then we're going to do Poet Warrior King number two next year. And we're going to do Poet Warrior number, number three. We're going to do about 24 messages total because folk have been so moved by these. And so what I want you to see this morning is this location there. I saw this, stuck my toe in that water. It was pretty, pretty wonderful. That's called David's Waterfall. That's literally the geography is what it's described in Israel as David's Waterfall because the biblical record is here of David and his mighty men hiding out in the stronghold of En Gedi. In the middle of all of this, and this is what I, I, I want you to see, as I climbed up this craggy rock formation and went up the goat trail, this is what I saw. These are little wild goats. 
that live in this whole region here. And um, there are occasionally you'll see some hinds, which are a kind of deer that are able to climb craggy rocks when the scripture says God will give you feet like hinds feet. It's literally speaking of a biblical geographical uh, animal uh, in, in portions of Israel. And so these are the little wild goats that live there. And literally in Gedi, when in Gedi is translated, it means the fountain of the kid. Now, not kid like a little punk preteen, people person kid, but kid like a little goat kid. The baby of a goat is called a kid. So the word in Gedi means the fountain of a leaping kid. Now, I only, I'm only going to do this for 10 seconds, so we're not going to waste a long time, but I want to give you a little clip of a YouTube video. Watch this on both of your screens because this shows you how little baby goats play and leap and jump around. Look, watch, you, watch them leap. Now, there's a mule there, and watch it leap. See how it just kind of leaps all around? And so many times when Bible names are given, it is they're looking for something in nature that they see to describe uh, the circumstance. It could be a political change. It could be a drought or a famine. It could be abundance and rain. Uh, Babies' names were given because they had prophetic meaning and significance. And so out in the middle of... Now think about this. If you go back to the map and you remember, there is the Judean wilderness to the north and to the west and there is the Dead Sea to the east. In the middle of death, Dead Sea, and desolation, the wilderness of Judea, in the middle of death and desolation, God has an oasis out in the middle of nowhere. And it is a fountain of a leaping kid. It literally means leaping fountain. Now let me tell you what this is. Let me give you the New Testament fulfillment of this because this is a natural picture. It is a type of something. And now we go to the New Testament and we see where God has fulfilled this now in the life of the believer because David found refuge in the stronghold of En Gedi and there was a leaping fountain there, a fountain that was alive, that was bubbling up out of the ground in the middle of the cave and running over with such profundity that it literally ran out into and made a lagoon. You can, you can picture the mighty men out here wrestling around and you know just cutting up and having a good time, taking a break. Uh, in the middle of that, put it back to the David's waterfall, if you would, just a couple of slides back. Because in the middle of all of this, they have a place of refuge. They've been running from Saul. David's been a fugitive. He's been hounded. Folks saying stuff about him, lying on him, his own family. Not just Saul is against him, but now everybody in the army of Israel is after David. Now you're talking about needing to find a place of some encouragement and some security in the Lord. He leaves Adullam and he finds refuge in the stronghold of En Gedi. And this is what I want you to see. The Holy Ghost is inside you, a leaping fountain in the middle of all of your death and desolation in your life, all of your circumstances, all the junk, everything where it looks like there's no hope, everything where the Dead Sea is piling up all the junk around you and nothing can, can even live in it. And you turn and you go the other way and there's nothing but desolation and wilderness, a big rock farm. In the middle of that, God provides you. In the middle of all of your death and desolation, God gives you the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Christ Himself that will be at the fountain of a leaping kid on the inside of you. And some of you going, Pastor, why, why do you jump around and you get excited? Because I'm just so thankful for Jesus who is real and who will, who will get in your cave with you and who will change your life. And he'll, he'll, he'll bring joy when there is no joy. This is what the Bible says, John 7, 37. It says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me. And he says, 
Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's that fountain of the leaping kid. It's that joy-filled river. And I don't really believe that this is literal, that in the new creation, in the kingdom of God, we're going to have some kind of geyser coming out the side. But it literally means the word for flow, out of your belly shall flow, is the Greek word reo, R-H-E-O. We get our English word rhetoric from it. Someone who is a rhetorician, is uh, uh, all about speaking. They're all about declaring clearly, making a point. Rhetoric is faith-filled words out of your mouth. Come on, you can get a real good taste of the fountain of somebody else's well by listening to the words that they speak. Are they positive? Are they faith-filled? Or are they fear-filled? Are they filled with worry and doubt and unbelief? That's bitter water. Come on, we need some sweet water of trust in God and the faith that God brings. Are you hearing me this morning? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit Himself is a leaping fountain in the middle of all of your death and desolation in order to strengthen you. Now, this is what I want you to see this morning. Number one, point number one, perspective changes everything. When God delivers your enemy into your hands, when that moment that you've looked for your whole life is presented to you and you have an opportunity to take matters into your own hands, and folk do it all the time, instead of waiting on the Lord and let God handle the circumstances. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about being lackadaisical or lazy or something like that, but I'm talking about when there are things that are made for God to do and not for us and we try to do them in our own strength. Come on, somebody. Look at this, Psalm 24, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 4. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, everybody say he was told, now stay right here on this verse, back there in the booth, please. He was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. How many of you know there's always somebody talking? Always somebody got something to say. And there's somebody talking about you, and there's somebody talking around you. 35 years ago, my mentor, Dr. Kelly Varner, great, great man of God, one of the best Bible teachers that has ever walked the planet, written over 60 books, set me down one day as a young man. And he said, Michael, the favor of God is on your life. There is an anointing on your life. And he said, I'm going to tell you right now, no matter what you do, it will be criticized. No matter how good it is, no matter how everybody's shouting, singing your praises, somebody is not going to like it. Somebody's going to criticize it. He said, you're going to be up, you're going to be down. There's always somebody going to be somebody talking. He said, now let me just say this. He said, there's, there's a couple things you can do with that. You can let that tie you up into a knot and you can become a navel gazer <laughs> where you're constantly introspective and inspecting yourself and checking everything and your confidence is brought low, your ability to move with an anointing and with the influence that God has destined for your life, it'll be put in check and it'll be limited. You can let that happen because you're constantly worrying about what everybody else thinks. He said, you can let it hurt you and limit you. He said, or you can let it do the opposite and you can let it set you free to be who you are and not care about what anybody else thinks. Now, I believe there's some folks in this room this morning that need to get a good dose of that. Come on, open up wide because I've got a great big old tablespoon full of this this morning. You need to get you a little bit of don't care, only care about what God thinks and stop caring about what everybody else thinks and is saying. Are you hearing what I'm telling you this morning? Because so, as long as you're worried about what everybody else is saying, you won't be considering what God wants you to do. 
because there's always somebody talking about you and there's always somebody talking around you trying to influence you and get up in your ear saying all kind of stuff. He was told, somebody's telling Saul, they're in his ear. And not only is Saul trying to get David, but every young Israelite army man is after David as well. And that could probably get to be very discouraging when you feel like you don't just have the king after you, but you have all the king and all of his men that are coming after you, trying to hunt you down like a dog. Now, move on. Let's, let's go ahead here. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and all of his men and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. There it is in Scripture. You see that the goats are there. Let's move on. Number three. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. I don't even know how to, to, to approach this. right here other than to say d- 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 victory keeps it real okay <laughs> there's some churches they wouldn't even read that verse in church well I just can't believe he even talked well it's in the Bible now how many of you know I don't care how big you are O king O great king when nature calls even the king has got to answer <laughs> are y'all okay with me this morning is this too plain I'm not going to be crass this is hilarious uh, if you have a sense of humor, you can read your Bible and just laugh with the Holy Ghost sometimes. I'm, I'm just sitting in my, t- reading the Word and laughing out loud because I want you to see what happens here. Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Somebody forgot to click the occupied sign outside the cave. <laughs> here comes Saul. I'm not going to act it out. No way. Not going near that. Although I will say this, if I were preaching to a men's conference, I would do it entirely different than I would with the ladies here this morning. (laughs) Uh, We're editing. Okay, here we go. They were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Let's read on. Look here. And the men of David said to him, say it one more time, always somebody talking. Saul's got somebody in his ear. David has a whole group in his ear too. Men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. We've got a whole unified majority that are going, David. And you know, you can imagine now. Let's, let, me, let me just take a second and let's just, just back up for a minute before we get real serious. And I want you to know what was going on for a second as all these men are back there. <coughs> That's our king right there. They're all laughing about to bust it because they're trying to keep quiet. And you know how hard it is. You remember as a kid when you were in church and you got tickled and your mama would would pinch a a knot out of your skin and take it home with her? I remember that. Me and Dewey would just get tickled and start laughing so hard. Man, it's like a plug was gone out of my arm that mama... Can you imagine these men are doing everything? Saul's in there doing his business. Men on however far the back side of the cave was, I cannot imagine, but it was back far enough for them to be able to whisper and say, this is your chance. And David is moved just momentarily. Look at what he does. Then David arose and he stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He wants to take the knife. That knife, if if it's sharp enough to cut a corner off of Saul's robe quietly, it show is soft enough to jab it into his heart and finally get rid of the dude who is causing him all kinds of grief and pain and despair and making him be a fugitive. 
All the men are behind him. They'll make him king in a second. They've already told him, this is your day. Here it is. And David cuts off a little tip of Saul's robe. And look at what the scripture says. This is what I want you to see. When the voice inside you is greater than the voices around you. And if you're going to be a leader worth your salt, you have to learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it has to be greater than all of the other voices that are trying to get your attention. Everybody say, greater is he that is in me than he that is trying to get in me. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He's, the world is trying to influence you, trying to whisper, trying to get you to do things that you know are not right. That Take it into your own hands, something that God himself should handle. Look at the verses quickly. Here we go. And afterward, David's heart struck him. Oh, Oh, I love this. I love this. This is how you know, saints, listen to me, that your heart and your relationship with God is right when you cross even a little line and just, just cut the edge of the leader's robe off and your heart smites you. You know that, that your heart is right with God and you're sensitive to the things of the Lord. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't badmouth and do all these things that people think they can get away with because God will take care of it. He will, he will avenge. He will, God always takes care of those upon whom His favor rests. Look, if the favor of the Lord's on you, you just keep your heart right. He will smack your enemies in the mouth. It's just hilarious how it happens sometimes. You just hide and watch. But if you think you can do it yourself, He will let you do it, and you'll usually make a mess. David's heart strikes him. and There have been times that the, the, the Spirit of the Lord has smitten my heart to stop doing things that aren't even a sin and that I've backed up from because it, just, it was an issue of just, just really questioning whether or not it would affect somebody. And so that's the point is that if, if your heart is soft enough that God can risk, cause you to respond in sensitivity, this is what he had done. He had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Move on. Verse 6, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, little L, the, the king, that's Saul, the little L Lord. The Lord, capital L, forbid that I should do this thing to my little L Lord, to Saul. The Lord's, he is the Lord's anointed. Okay, He says, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Go ahead, verse 7. So David persuaded his men with these words. Now, I believe they argued. I believe the men said, don't be a fool, David. We're running from this guy, and it's wrong. It's illegitimate. His, his charges against you are totally wrong. It's just pure jealousy. He knows you're the Lord's anointed. Kill his. And, and I guarantee you they used some words that we'd have to kind of white out because they're men in a cave. They're warriors. They're fighting army men. They're not just talking in sweet little teacup lady niceties. They're acting like men. And, they, and I guarantee you David just says, Shh, I'm not going to let you attack him. You know what? He's done us wrong. He is wrong, but he's still God's anointed. God put his hands on him through the prophet and they poured the oil over him and he was named the king. He says, and Saul rose up. He did not permit them to attack Saul and Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Let me just say this right now. There are two ways that you can respond to this, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. In some churches it is hammered so hard that anything the pastor does is never questioned. He's on a pedestal. It's, it's no longer the Trinity, it's the Quadrinity. It's Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and Pastor, whatever. And they make him like God. There, there are places that I've literally seen Women run out and they roll out a red carpet when a, an archbishop arrives and they're flinging angel dust and they're waving feathers and all kinds of nonsense. And I believe there's a place to honor the leader. 
As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to take this away. Let me just say this very briefly about here. We do not allow that pastor is God culture at victory. Because I, I, I get up too often and tell you where I'm struggling to let, prevent you from putting me on some kind of unrealistic pedestal and making me into something that I'm not. I'm not preaching David and making me David and making you the mighty men. I'm preaching Jesus is David and all of us are to come along and be mighty men with him. But let me say this. There's one extreme where you make the pastor God and there's another one over here on the far side. And too often folks swing from one the pendulum goes from one extreme to the other and so they're in one church where he's like God and they come into the next and think they can just treat him like average Joe. Well, the church I was used to be in, they treated him like God and I'm going, well, okay, baby, that's great. Just don't make sure you swing to the other side because if I'm no different than the person working in the cubicle next to you, if I don't have any more influence in your life, don't make me like God, but if I don't have something in the balanced perspective in the middle of being able to say, I believe when Pastor Michael prays that God hears him, I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is on this, it's an anointed ministry, the Holy Ghost is moving in this place. If you don't believe that, then this is not the church for you. Find you a church where you believe that the ministry is hearing from God and he is anointed by the Lord. Don't treat him like God, but don't treat him with familiarity either that just breeds contempt and question everything with a bad attitude. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because there's a balance. Everybody say, look at your neighbor, so let's get into balance. And the whole point is that David recognized that Saul was still the Lord's anointed and he would not kill him. He would not raise his hand against him. Saul rose up, left the place, and went on his way. Next. Heart reveals actions. Our hearts will show. Our hearts are revealed in the actions that we live out of. Look at these verses quickly. 1 Samuel 24, verses 8 through 11. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave, and he called after Saul. He said, My lord the king, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face. He is honoring the position of of a madman who is jealous and who is crazy, who has hurled a spear at him, who has tried to pin him to the wall. Let me just make this real plain. Let's move from the local church and let's move into the American government. Too many times I have heard people who are praying, Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christians who will pray for the president one day and then post all kinds of ungodly stuff on Facebook and send it out in emails all the rest of the week long. If you're a Democrat and a Republican's in the White House or if you're a Republican and a Democrat's in the White House, let me just say this to you right now. I don't care how bad you hate Barack Obama. He is still the man that God allowed to become the leader of this nation. And if you would pray for him half as much as you criticized him, we might have revival in America. Oh, y'all, y'all... I'm going to pray for repentance for y'all. You ought to shout it better at that. Come on, if you're in the army, if you're a military person, you salute the major no matter how corrupt he or she is. You salute him because of the rank. You honor people because of the position that they're in. He is the president of the United States. If you really want to get biblical, you ought to be praying for him and his lovely wife and their beautiful daughters every day for the protection of God to be upon them. I know I'm in a conservative congregation, but folks, let's grow beyond our politics and let's be biblical. We are Christians before we're Democrats or before we're Republicans. <laughs> Honor the anointed. Well, I don't see any anointed on him. Well, just honor the office. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? Pray for 
Let me move on. David bowed his face. He paid homage. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of these men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? These idiots that are all up in your ear are lying to you. They're telling you stuff that's untrue about me. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. He holds up a piece of Saul's robe in his hand from one brow of the cave, one, one hill over to the other. And he says, some of these guys in the, in the cave with me in here while you were taking care of business told me to kill your butt, but I didn't do it. Some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will, look at this, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. First time he says it, read on. See, my father, see the corner of the robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may now, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. My actions have spoken and showed you where my heart is. There's no treason, no wrong in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Look at this. It's so easy to justify. It's so easy to live out of this. When you did me wrong, I'm going to wipe you off the earth but the Bible says that vengeance is the Lord's we don't step into the place that only God has the choice when a man's life is raised up and when a man's life ends David had the power of Saul's life and death in his hands and he chose at the last second not to take advantage of it because he said I will not touch this I will not put my hand out against the Lord's anointed when it's time for him to die God will show up and take his life Look at this, 1 Samuel 24. May the Lord, this is what David says, from one brow of the hill to the next. They're, they're hollering over that waterfall, the scene you've just seen, the picture that was taken. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you and the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Second time he said it. Read on. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. And David says it again the third time. Read it out loud with me. But my hand shall not be against you. Would to God that people in this church, in any church, so many of the church fights and the nonsense that happens in the body of Christ takes place because people, people refuse to have the spirit of David in handling things the right way. Doesn't mean you're permissive over sin. Doesn't mean you don't address problems. But it means you do it the right way. And in the right spirit. He says, but my hand shall not be against you. Move on. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? A dead dog? He says, after a flea? These are words of contempt talking about David himself. What, you're chasing me like a stinking fugitive. Why are you even taking your time to come out here? I hadn't done anything to you. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and to see it and to plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. I love it. David's pleading with God in the middle of this. He had the power of Saul's death and life in his hand. And now he says, God, it's yours. Now the Lord take care of this. Read. Last point. But before I get to that point, I want you to hear this passage from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. Let's put a New Testament witness to it. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
If you can just back up and go, okay, God, this is in your hands, I promise you, with your eyes, you will see the reward of the wicked. But if you try to do it yourself, he'll let you handle it and you'll mess it up. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Perspective changes everything. This is what I want you to see this morning. Good Old Testament theology is love those who love you and hate your enemies. But Jesus came along and he says, you've heard it said. He said, but I say to pray for those who despitefully use you and to love your enemies. Jesus, are you kidding? I, I, I can love folk who love me. And Jesus said, yeah, anybody can do that. The sinner can do that. Gentiles can do that. Jesus says, if you have my spirit in you, I want you to love your enemy. I, I, you know, and most pray for them. You know, when, when you pray for them, you're usually thinking, God, bust their teeth, tear them up, cut their head off, break their legs in the name of Jesus. Uh, Y'all ain't never prayed that way, have you? Uh, let me just confess my sin, because I have. You can find it all over the Psalms, and David was praying that way, but Jesus comes around, he turns all this on his head, and the two sons of thunder... James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven and Jesus says, hold on boys, you don't know what spirit you are of. And the whole point is in those moments, the words we speak, we want it to be words of life. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. When I pray, I want to pray, God bring change. God, I forgive. I choose in the name of Jesus. Last, this is what I want you to see. Trust in the Lord and not in man. Say that with me. Trust in the Lord and not in man. Okay, let's read the verse. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David lifted up his voice. I'm sorry. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Saul had a come to Jesus moment realizing that David could have killed him. And he's all emotional. He's crying about it. Oh, he's looking like he's repented. And folk can do that. They can come just really act all holy. I'm sorry, you know. And look at, let me just show you this. Look here. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good. What do we just read in Romans? Don't repay evil with evil. He says, whereas I have repaid you with evil. Go ahead. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Let's finish this. Here we go. And now behold, I know, this is what Saul is saying, I know that you shall be king. It's in the cards. It's in the spirit. God's revealed it. It's, it's, it there's nothing I can do. I know that you're going to be king and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Saul's got it figured out now. Go ahead. Swear to me. This is what Saul says. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. We're finished. Read it out loud with me. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now Saul's basically just apologized and said, I'm sorry, you've done right, I've done wrong. But notice David didn't get up and go back home with him. Why do you figure he didn't do that? Didn't want? Oh, you guys are helping me real good this morning. See, I want you to see right now that the kingdom of God is not built on love. It's built on trust. God commands me to love everybody. And I love folk that I don't even like. 
Don't look at me in that tone of voice. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Come on, there are people in your family. You're going to sit down around the table with them this Thanksgiving, folk that you love that you don't even like. Tell somebody he's keeping it real right now. Come on, why do relationships not last? It's not because there's not love, but it's because there's not what? It's a cliche with the couples that come into my office over 30 years of ministry. And they're getting a divorce. And it's not because they don't love each other. It's because they don't what? Kingdom of God's not built on love, saints. It's built on what? Trust. David didn't trust Saul. He loved him. He loved him enough to keep from killing him. He could have justified killing his mad king self. This is what I want you to see. There's a difference between forgiveness, which is love, and trust, which has to be earned. Forgiveness is given. Trust is earned. I love everybody in this room, but there's, there's a couple of you. I, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. And y'all are kind of chuckling going, I, want, I don't hope he's not talking about me. And it doesn't matter who I'm talking about. Tell the truth. You're the same way that I am. There's some folks you love them, but you don't trust them. Come on, are you hearing me? He loved Saul, but he didn't trust him. He, and he went back to the stronghold of Engedi, to the place of protection, to some folks that he knew that had his back. They may be in his ear, but he knows that they're for him in his ear. What am I saying to you this morning? This is the last verse that I want to share with you, the very center verse of the Bible. Psalm 118, verse 8. The shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. The very middle chapter of the Bible is Psalm 118, right in the middle of those two. And long before we had computers and could figure this out, there was a center verse of the Bible that we didn't know until we were able to get a computer and be able to compute what the center verse of the Bible was. The very center verse of the Bible is Psalm 118, verse 8. Do you figure that the center verse of the Bible might be, maybe has a central theme that we ought to pay some attention to? You want to hear what the central verse of the Bible that has a central theme, a central idea that we should pay attention to says? This is what it says. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your trust in man. Say it with me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your trust in man bringing this message to a close this morning. And I want to say to you right now, there are a lot of folks who love God but don't trust Him. Now that's making the hair on my face stand up. That has anointing on it right there. Are you hearing what I just said? There are people in this room who love God but don't trust Him. Don't trust Him with your life. Don't trust Him to let Him actually be Lord and start calling the shots. Love God. Grew up in church. You believe he's saved, probably are. But this whole thing about really making him Lord and selling out and letting him really truly be Lord of my whole life, I don't know, it's not for me. Why? Because you don't trust him. There are folk who think they're going to heaven who've loved Jesus their whole life, but they've never trusted him. And the scripture says that we have to put our trust in the Lord because the Bible commands me to love everybody, but only one does he command me to trust. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Put your trust in the Lord. 
Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Some are brought down and fallen, but He's made us to arise and stand upright. We put our trust in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abides forever. Like a mountain range. I don't want you to just believe in Jesus this morning. We, there are people in this room who believe in Albert Einstein. You believe in John Adams. You believe in George Washington. You believe in Jesus as a historical figure. But the real issue is not whether you believe in Him. The issue is do you believe Him? Do you believe what He says? And when you believe Him, it means you trust Him. It means you trust Him. It means you lay your life in His hands. It means that you recognize that there's nothing you can do to earn or deserve or have anything called the favor of God. If anything, the wrath of God is all of our due. But when I simply trust Him, not just love the idea of Him dying for me, but I trust Him, I say, be my Savior, be Lord of my life. I put my trust in you. That means I get up and I go home with Him. I start walking with Him. I live differently than I used to live. Because my trust is in the Lord. Bow your heads with me, please, right now, in the name of Jesus.